to episode 35 of Pounding the Table. And this episode is extremely special. As it is not only your boy's birthday today, but it's my fiance's wedding shower. And most importantly, it is our one-year anniversary of doing this podcast, meaning that this is the season finale of Pounding the Table. So we're going to get a little bit nostalgic on this one, recap our year and review of Pounding the Table, and we're going to summarize Pounding the Table's 10 Commandments. So, Tony, without further ado, let's kick us off with a disclaimer, because it's about to be showtime. Avi, man, first of all, happy, happy birthday to you and happy anniversary. I cannot believe we made it a year doing this podcast. Started with you just sending me a random microphone to joke about stocks at night. And here we are a year later, built out a team, got a lot of things coming for Pounders. And I'm honestly excited to get this thing wrapped up and start season two next week. And so for those of you who are new, Pounding the Tables, a podcast by Avi Mash and Anthony Ohion talking about the stock market, the art of options trading. And each week, we analyze the news and provide our opinions and insights around how we think the markets will be impacted. Quick disclaimer here, everybody knows the rules. The thoughts on this podcast are purely that of opinion and of our own personal investments. Everything said on every episode of Pounding the Table, as well as our Twitter account and anything else we do, are not and should never be used as financial advice, recommendations, or solicitation. So Avi, let's get this thing going. Let's do it. And uh, I just want to thank you for being the, the 12 o'clock text to the happy birthday. That was really uh, yeah, adorable man. of you and, and happy anniversary as well. This is uh, super exciting. And, you know, it is very nostalgic in a sense, right? We started this podcast a year ago. We created it because every single person kept texting us questions about the markets, et cetera. And I said, hey, Tony, we got to elevate your voice a little bit, man. And so this is truly the pot of the people. We've grown this into such an amazing community of pounders. And at this one-year juncture, we just kind of wanted to take some time to reflect. Uh, we've now built a team around us, which is super exciting again here for season two. Uh, and our boy Rahul, uh, who is actually a pounder himself, and he's come on the podcast and, and helped us quite a bit here. He first came to us and had these like 10 commandments essentially that he wrote down. So we'll be getting into that in just a second. But let's kick things off with just taking a look back of, of 2020. I know it's a little funny in July here, but we do want to reflect on our year uh, in review, right? So thinking about what has happened thus far since we started the podcast, obviously last year, I think everything kind of started here with Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, one of the, the most legendary humans and of course, basketball players of all time. And then shit kind of hit the fan after that, right? We had COVID, we've seen that unemployment, people working from home, stimulus checks, people fleeing some of these larger cities, BlackRock buying tons of homes. So a lot of things are happening. Of course, we saw the oil prices going negative. Lumber went parabolic. We had the evergreen ship, you know, the blockage of the trade route, which was billions of dollars in economic damage. Of course, we had Joe Biden coming as president. So we've seen this change in government. And that will be something we'll, of course, talk about throughout the, the season two here coming up. Brexit. And then we had some new stars coming to the show, like Kathy Wood. I had no idea who Kathy Wood was yep. last year. She's now become a superstar. Dave Portnoy became a household name. The term stonks was birthed and we saw the craze of, of AMC and GME. Tony had mentioned that there's 10 new million trading accounts that had opened up. Yeah, at um, least there's got to be so many more, honestly, 500% increase. So now there's so many more people in the markets. It's up to 25% retail. So everyone's in it together at this point. Yeah, which we'll continue to talk about. But I think with 25% of, of accounts being retail now, we do have some of that power. And you've seen that again with the, the AMCs, the GMEs, all the apes running around. So it, <laughs> it is getting a little bit crazy. And you saw this, of course, with the crypto, right? We saw Bitcoin hit their all-time high. We saw Ethereum hit their all-time high. 
We had, uh, of course, vaccines come. So you, you quoted that Pfizer Monday. Pfizer you know? Monday. Yeah. Everyone thought that every single growth stock was dead, right? I was like the day SE went down from like 195 to 155 in a single day, and then they all bounced right back. So it was like yeah. probably the first test of growth stocks since they started running in 2020. So everyone was terrified that we've saw some of the stocks that we've talked about over and over again, like SE, Etsy, Fiverr, Mealy, Square who've added many legs. And of course, that's going to be something we'll talk about here in just a bit. But, you know, as companies start to evolve and start to add new layers of revenue, obviously, that's super important. Tony, I'm gonna shout you out right here. Well, you, you were inaccurate, but in a good way. So you had this quote of uh, 3600 for SPX by the target of January. So we didn't hit that we actually went way over uh, 4200. So congrats. But that's absolutely wild that you just keep hitting these, <laughs> these targets right here. Yeah, man, it's uh, that pent up demand everybody wanted to spend and people didn't have the opportunity to and they had every single incentive to spend once things started getting more and more normalized. Like I remember on the podcast, we were talking about the cruise ship data that I I saw one like last April, randomly, I saw this cruise ship data that was saying that there's a 44% increase in pent up demand yeah. for 2021. And then that was for me, the go to and then like all the narratives that everyone was coming out with saying this is going to happen, that's going to happen, the world's over. First of all, once we we've said this so many times that the world only ends once. So all of that was just BS FUD. And so now that we knew that that pent up demand was there, then you just have to find the opportunities and, and see where that pent up demand could be spent at the time, right? And that's why we went into those work from home names, those software names, those COVID benefiting names. And those names have now grown exponentially. And as we say, those bases have grown exponentially. And so for the future of like the rest of times, those successful companies that came out of this thing have the potential to be all stars and super monsters who may have not been able to without COVID. So things have actually changed in the world. We have people working from home. I think the dichotomy between like work and life balance has gotten so much stronger. People don't really care as much for the standard nine to five job, right? They've learned that you can have that optionality of going fishing while also investing or doing something passive in affiliate marketing or real estate or whatever it might be. So mm -hmm. I think we've got a very different economy, but it actually opens up a lot of doors for cool investments in the next decade. I'm in corporate America and, and I've noticed that, of course, like the first two weeks, I had no idea what to do when I was working from home. But like, now I've gotten this rhythm and I feel like I get so much more done, you know, working from home because I don't have colleagues coming up distracting me or rather probably more so the opposite where I'm you, going to you distract go people. Uh, you know, some of my colleagues and, and such and, you know, going to get snacks every two seconds, yada, yada, like. I'm just getting my stuff done. The bad part is you feel like you're almost like always on working from home. But, you know, I think mm -hmm. this shift is, is going to be here to stay somewhat. I do see a world, of course, that people are slowly starting to come back. I know my company wants us coming back to some capacity in September here. So I think that will start to happen. But I really mm -hmm. do think that this work from home to some capacity will be here in the future. Like, I, I can't imagine myself going yeah. to the office every single day, right? A lot so, of those work from home names have that going on now, too. Like, they have an optionality where it's like you can spend two days off. And then I, I think they're trying to tease it back in, right? Because it could cause a huge mental shift to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. You know, spending at home for five days then going five days. Like, I, I'm an introvert. But even though I'm very, like, extroverted, that, that would make me socially anxious, like, on the normal it, to do that to just go back into society after a year going to work like oh one day you're not then like five days so i see all these companies doing that now they're saying well we'll start off with coming in like one or two days and yeah. people still want to get eased into it but also there's a lot of companies that just are like all right we're back and yeah. i think the economy the economy can definitely feel that right like i think mm -hmm. we're a lot stronger than people think we are of course we've got a bunch of debt right the fed printed 35 percent of all the dollars in circulation this last year but i do think that there's going to be a lot of different programs that will be evening out a lot of that stuff in the next coming decade hopefully we'll see yeah. we'll see what happens there well we and we got a lot of positivity right so i think the infrastructure bill you know recently has come out i know they're still figuring out a few things there but uh, 1.2 trillion dollars, right? So 109 billion for roads and bridges, 49 billion for public transportation, 66 billion for rail, 25 billion for airports, 55 billion for water, 73 billion for power infrastructure, 65 billion for broadband, and 7.5 billion for EV charging network. I know that they're still figuring out the police, which is Axon's a company that I'll be talking about here <laughs> in, in the next coming weeks. But you know, some of those things are still have not hit quite yet that are still being uh, worked out. And then finally, you know, through all of this like doom and gloom that we we felt in the market, 
the major indices have hit their all-time high, yeah, right? They ripped like 100%. They, they, like, they doubled from that low in March. It's absolutely bonkers. We saw this ourselves, and like a lot of these new folks that just got in, they think that trading is the easiest thing ever. Like I thought I was, you know, a year into trading, I was like, I am the best damn trader in the entire world, right? Because like every <laughs> single thing was just going up. You could throw a dart at the board, right? But now I think this is the year that will kind of start to separate the the men from the boys. And I will uh, ensure 100%. that I stay very close to you this year because yeah, I can't just be going gonna, out there like a cowboy. <laughs> it's going to take a lot of bonsaiing because, you know, it's going to be a very different market moving forward. I think all the easy money that's been made it has, has been made. And I think that now it's like back to the big boy status, right? Like if you have experience in the market, you'll do well. But I do know that the last three, four months, if you're a growth investor, has been the hardest market I've ever been in as a growth investor. Um, nothing like a long, like three, four month bear market slow bleed to really put some hair on your chest. But either way, like, you know, I think we're out of the woods on that, right? You saw long dated yields come down. That's very important. And then you've also seen like Powell's words in the last meeting really did calm down the markets. Lumber went down 50% from its high. So important things are happening in the backdrop that are setting up the environment better. But I also want people to remember that while everyone's saying inflation this and fears that and woe me here and there, growth stocks don't perform well, right? Like if the economy is strong, we have one to 2% rates eventually in the next year or two, which the Fed says 2023, growth stocks perform very well, like usually over time compared to the indices and other markets like anyway. So it just takes time for people to balance out how much beta, how much like push they want to give into those names versus the, you know, the blue chips and the cyclicals and the value names that pay dividends. The, the biggest thing, you know, we started this a year ago and I have learned so much and, and I don't really realize it all because like I'm talking to you, right. And you're always kind of a step above the game for me. And, and when I go out into the bars and, and talk to friends, it's like all of a sudden I feel like an, an expert compared to, to different people. Right. And so there's, there's certainly levels to this shit, you know, yeah. uh, rest in peace of Vici or there, but you know, it, it just kind of thinking back, we had these kind of 10 commandments you have put into place here. I know Rahul, who again was one of our pounders, who's, who's now on the pounding team had brought these to our attention and we're like, damn, this is, this is it, man. This is exactly yeah. the rules that we need to live by as an investor or as a trader, right? And so the first commandment, let's just say, is is what is your investing style, right? We've talked about this term invader, which another pounder gave us, which is half trader, half investor, right? And so that's how we identify ourselves. But it's important to understand who you are, right? We have friends that are only investors. We have friends that are only traders, right? So I think that's mm -hmm. the first thing you need to look yourself in the mirror on and say, you know, what do I want to do? Who am I? Am I looking to buy a stock and hold that for five, 10 years? Or am I going to swing trade? Am I playing YOLO weekly options? <laughs> right. And so I think that's the first thing that you need to answer for yourself to help you grow. So Tony, I know you're kind of the first invader per se. Yeah, I think it's it's first in the 10 commandments. Obviously, there's a lot of other things that might be more important. But I think this you have to answer before you even get into the other stuff, right? Like you want to know what are your goals and you want to know what your risk is. Like I think that in the last three months, a lot of people have realized their true risk, right? Because it's so easy to lie to yourself. You can convince yourself of absolutely anything and you will never be able to tell until it's too late. So People have really learned a lot about what their risk tolerances are. And I think in the last year, you've seen like the potential, right? Like for hitting a good market run, for hitting, like I've completely changed my life. Like, right, my, my entire, like my fund was made because I took the opportunity and succeeded in that time. And I think that's because I'm the kind of guy who's a little riskier. I put my foot on the gas. When I see an opportunity, I take it and I seize it and I run with it. Like you know, I run as fast as I can, making sure I can get it away from as, as many people as possible and make sure I seize that opportunity. Um, I think in the markets is a very similar thing, right? Like you want to find those hidden gems, but you also want to take profits and you also want to make sure that you're allocating to the bonsai and all these things. So being an invader to me, just means like seizing the opportunity for being where you are. And of course, that's another one of our rules and stuff, but you want to make sure that at that moment in time, if something's ran way too much and you are like, okay, like if I look at the valuations, I think that this is like very much so priced in like Shopify is a great example. I love Shopify. Here's a little teaser. Maybe it's going to be joining us somewhere next week. But once again, you know, running up to 1500 from a thousand, that to me, you know, as a long-term investor, if I still own that, which I didn't, I sold at 1100. But if I still own that, that's something that I would be considering like, hey, like that's ran up quite a bit. Is it maybe time to manage that portfolio position and allocate to something that hasn't ran a lot 
or to maybe just trim some off because it's gotten too large over my percent allocation that I really want to have no position be over. So I think it's a bunch of different factors, but at the end of the day, you got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, what the hell am I here for? Like, am I going to be the guy that's going to be on Twitter 24 hours a day, talking to people and learning as much as I can? Long-term investor who never checks the market, but wants those five, 10 baggers in the next five, 10 years, because I have time. Or are you a combination of both, right? Like you work like Avi, but you also like check out the markets during the day because you're interested. I think those are the most important things to figure out, right? And like also know where you are in life, right? So if you're a younger kind of guy and you have a lot of debts and stuff, like I did this, I maxed out credit cards, I took loans out to trade and everything. I wouldn't recommend doing that. It's a lot of fucking pressure. It's terrifying, but I, I would consider to have people to, in that position to make sure they know to not go risky. And, and, and just because you were in a good position now, it doesn't mean you should throw your entire net worth into trading and just try to figure it out, right? Like you can go slow and over time learn a lot and then be successful because it's really easy to lose a lot of money if you go too hard too fast. And to your point, Tony, I think like everyone that is listening to us is in a different, unique situation in life. You know, some people have kids, some people are drowned in debt, right? That should impact who you are as an investor, right? Like, you mm -hmm. know, if you have kids, maybe you are buying some more blue chips because you can't afford a 20% downturn in a day, right? But it really depends on, on where you are at. And so that's a little teaser for another commandment coming up. But before we get there, I think this is one of the most important commandments in my eyes is, does this company excite you? And as simple as that question <laughs> is, yeah, I mean, as simple as that question is, is, is this a product you enjoy? Is this a product that you use? Do you see yourself rooting for that company for five, 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. The more you like the company you're investing in, the more your increased motivation is to learn about it, right? Like I set up a little brokerage account for my fiance. At first I had genomics in there, but I, you know, I'm going to switch over to Lululemon or Peloton, you know, companies that she can like cheer on and, and is going to be researching and sending me the news, you know, on some of these updates. And I've just kind of reallocated my positions into companies that I, I absolutely know. You know, I think when I first started out, I just listened to you blindly and I'd start adding to those and I, you know, I trust you, but the more I've started to learn is like just making sure that I'm doing my own due diligence on companies that truly, you know, excite me. Like Dropbox is a great example of a company that is a good company, but that doesn't excite me. That's not like the, the, the most exciting thing is mm -hmm. digital asset management for me. But, you know, companies like DraftKings that I use, that was like one of my first stocks I bought, you know, and, and seeing those companies that you truly believe in is just way more fun for you as, as an investor. You get excited to check out your portfolio every day of companies that you love. Yeah. And also you can stay in the trade, right? So there's like so many companies that are freaking easy investments, right? Like I honestly, and, and I'm saying this with all honesty here that you can go and, and you know which are like the top 10 or 15 stocks who will do well, right? It's not hard for everyone to think about what are the heads of the table on the market, right? It's like C-Limited, Shop, Square. Like those are the companies that everyone has in their portfolio and you feel good about. And if you make fun of, you're going to get attacked by Twitter's mob and this and that. And like, <laughs> fine, I get it. But the real companies that excite me are the ones that not everyone's feeling that way about. I like to be in stuff that no one has any damn clue what's going on, right? So buying Tesla sub 200 pre-split that's something that excites me. Why? Because I have Tesla posters. I have the the jackets, the shirts, the hoodies. I have the car, right? And like I made more money on Tesla than I did on any other investment. So I was excited by watching Elon literally from go from a billion dollar uh, net worth like to where he is today. And I was rooting for him the entire way, hearing everyone say, you're going to fail. You're not going to succeed. Nothing that you're doing is revolutionary. And then boom, like you can't, nobody can touch Elon. You can't even look in his direction without feeling like an idiot. So that's, that's what's important to me is like, I, am I excited that he was able to take like my belief and my faith in him and actually change the world for like having those EV networks, right? We're going to space. We're doing those things. And I was excited the whole time. I literally could not sleep. I was like going to model three dealerships, like checking it out. I was, I was like that, uh, those TikTok those TikTok memes of the guy who bought AMC stock and he like goes to the movie theater and he's like, I'm the money here. How's the business? Like, <laughs> That's yeah, how I like, found you though. Is I saw a picture of you at like 19 with a Tesla. I was like, all right, who's this jerk? You know, like people will never understand. That's my best marketing move of all time. This kid's 19. He's doing something right. Like whatever. He's kind of arrogant, but like, let's, let's rock and see who this kid is. 
And sure enough, obviously you came in, you're a good dude and, and you're not, you know, that, that person who, who maybe came off as like cocky, but it, it's just mm-hmm. very true. You were young and, and you were excited about the stock yeah. and you're like, fuck yeah, I'm going to buy a, I'm going to buy a car with that stock. I, I like the move. Uh, and sure enough, you're kicking yourself every day. For yeah, that. I am. That's a million dollars <laughs> I left on the table. But you know what? Like the nice thing, and I realize this too, it's like ego comes off a lot, but it's also the pa- like the passion is what creates the like the ego for a lot of things. Like I think that people who get so consumed in like believing in a mission, like it's, you can have someone tell you you're wrong. I remember people were telling me I'm wrong, like on Tesla for years and years and years, and I didn't care. And then it just got me more passionate about it. It yeah. made me believe even more, right? The fate loves irony. Good guy becomes a bad guy. That is life, man. I say it every pod because you guys like look around, right? Like thinking your relationship and this and that or whatever Jamoth. it is. The, Jamoth, <laughs> right? The good guy becomes the bad guy, right? You push too hard. You make one little mistake and the bigger you get, the harder you fall. So I think it's important to make sure that that company that you invest in and you look for has the potential to be that Goliath that could fall because they get so big. But you have to make sure they have what it takes to get that big in the first place. Number three, trade for the market you are in, not the market you want to be in. Right. So I call this almost the the gem croissant. Right. You're understanding the market dynamics, the macros, the rotations, the yields. You know, how much more (laughs) will that help you to be prepared for the volatility of the market can bring? Right. Understanding that an infrastructure bill is coming out, understanding when the Fed's speaking, like those big major macro uh, events that are happening really are the flows and inflows and outflows, you know, of stocks. So talk about a little bit here. Yeah, I think that's just people like to look at fundamentals. And I obviously look at fundamentals. I know what a company is going to be making in one, two, three, four. In fact, I know what they're actually going to be making, right? Because analysts suck to all means of what that means. Like they are the worst. Like analysts will get the wrong estimate every time. And honestly, that allows you to have those opportunities if you are able to do your own DD and figure out what you think that company is going to make because of their new legs or their new acquisitions or this and that, right? So that's one thing. Of course, fundamentals in the long run will always matter. But the market conditions, like the macro view of where we are is infinitely more important than any of your comps or any of that bullshit. Like genuinely, like, Throw that on the ground. If the market, like the last three months, do you think anyone cared about your valuations? No, they didn't. And anyone who is shilling out PE numbers and fundamentals, it's a joke because the market was reacting off of something way bigger with way more money than what your thoughts are on your DCF. Like it doesn't matter in those times because Mm -hmm. the market is the first person to tell you where we're going. Right. Just because something's trading at like CMLF is trading at like seven times next year's sales and probably sandbagging estimates by 100 percent and it's not over 20. Okay, people are dumb and it'll take time to revert. That's how that works. But the market can be irrational longer than you can stay solvent. Right. So the last four months, if you were buying dips the last four months and you didn't do that well, but if you waited for lumber to come down and if you waited for the narrative to change, for the arc put flows to get crazy, if you waited for everyone to get so bearish on Kathy, you would think that she's like literally killed someone because of how much they <laughs> hated her. And that that is when you buy, right? So as much as you want to say like my fundamentals show this is a good valuation here or there, fine. In the long run, that's okay. But the truth is the market will be there much more it will tell you what's going on much more than your DCFs will. So I think that's the first thing to pay attention to, right? If your names are not running at all and the market's steamrolling, right? Like you're having your rotation. If the market's diving and you're going up, obviously you're benefiting from a value to growth rotation, but you have to understand those dynamics. You have to understand bonds. You have to understand rates. You have to understand QE tapering, everything that's possible to come out. Because if you don't understand those basic, basic, literally like, high school level things, then you will not succeed in the market because I learned that in Econ 101 in high school. Yeah. And it, it, even though we're now the retail investors, you know, more or less, you're kind of a hybrid there, but, you know, understanding that the big boys still run the market, right? Like Absolutely. ultimately these huge funds, these endowments, et cetera, like th- these guys are pulling the strings. And I always say like, don't, don't live in the bubble, Tony blow the bubbles. Right. And so blow the we, we try, we try our best. Right. But you know, at the end of the day, things can happen, right. Nine 11 happened, you know, years and years ago, we saw COVID. No one expected that really, you know, we don't even have this one on here, but one of my favorite rules I created was zig when others zag. And yeah, and you did that. I mean, you kind of called the bottom in, in February, March of, of last year. And you saw the benefits. I mean, we went a straight V up, right? So right. being able to just always know what's going on on the macro levels, you know, of course, fundamentals matter. Of course, you know, the companies you're investing matter, but 
unless you know what's happening from the, the macro level, you're going to fail mm-hmm. ultimately. So I think that's a, definitely a huge commandment to kind of take a look at. The number four is profit taking, right? The one third rule. So you set rules for yourself. And, and Tony, this is one that you made that, you know, you could be pulling out your cost basis after a certain percentage increase or saying, you know, before when you enter a trade, you're happy making X percent and then you're going to be getting out. Like the, you know, the, the traders that I talk to and investors that I talk to, the best ones usually do have those rules set for themselves and they they draw a line in the sand. They say, you know, no matter how much you fall in love with the stock, no matter how many things are happening, no matter what, at a certain percent, you're going to be cutting the thing, which is something very, very hard to do, especially if it's stock you fall in love with and you just see news on news you know, at what point do you kind of cross that rule out or do you just stick by that one all the time? Yeah. So, I mean, this is obviously different for everybody. I have my own rule because I'm chasing high CAGR right now, obviously. I I want the highest percent every year. I'm okay with having flat years, slightly up, slightly down years. But when the years hit that I want, I want them to be over 100%. So I allocate myself to be in that position. But the only way to get there, and I've really realized this is sure, maybe like five to 10% of my trades are the ones that make me all my money during the year. But when those five to 10 trades happen, the best thing that I can think of is putting them into things that have yet to run or things that are at a really good valuation and a good price that are just setting up nicely, right? Because the better a trade works, the worse a trade is. So if you are in something that goes from three to five, it's a worse trade for you. If it goes from three to 10, it's a way worse trade for you, right? Because let's say that happened in two weeks. That money that you made is obviously not there until you sell it. So I don't give a shit about taxes. I'm happy to pay more taxes because I will make more money percent wise over time compounding it. I don't pay my taxes every quarter like a lot of people do. I pay them at the end of the year and I do mark to market so I don't have to deal with wash. And those are things that you have to like, obviously go see your accountant and figure out what's going on there. But for me, I, I get a lot of questions about, do I care about my taxes? But I'll tell you, here's the thing. Like, would you rather have sold all your CCIV at 66 or worried about taxes? The answer is obviously what, like, you know what the answer is, is dump everything at the highs because you're never going to be upset having to pay taxes. You'd rather pay those taxes than eat that loss that you just got wrecked on uh, or, or that, that profit that you made disappearing to zero. So that's the only reason I take profits, right? So like, Something like, you know, EH, I still own that one from like eight to one twenty thirty. I sold like a third of it in the one twenties, one thirties. And honestly, I'm glad I did. It was a 15 bagger in literally like two, three months. Like, what did you expect someone to do? That'd be stupid if you didn't. And I love that people called me out for taking off some saying like, I'd never sell my core. Well, my core percent went 15 X. That's, that's how you have to do that because otherwise, right? Like it went all the way right back down to 20. And obviously that's a bunch because like the short names got squeezed, smaller caps got squeezed and everything came back down in growth. But once again, it doesn't matter. You are where you are. And that goes into our fifth rule. I mean, like that stock was where it was. Shopify Mm. is where it is right now. I think shop's a horrible value, 1500 for today. But in two weeks, if it's like 1250, I think it would be a great deal for myself to buy. So it's a very different situation. It matters on the day to day, but also like for your overall portfolio, if you make a ton of money on something and you don't want to watch it disappear, there's no nothing wrong with taking a little bit off and finding something else you're interested in, you know, broadening out that diversification risk. Mm-hmm. We, we just talked to a psychologist that will be pulling up here in, in for season two, but just like talking about that mentality of you are where you are is so simple yet complex at the same time, because, you know, it's, it's much easier to say that out loud than to actually live it. Right. Like mm-hmm. you, you go until we saw CCIV, as you mentioned, just a complete ripper. Right. We, we tried to, to trim the bonsai there and, and we both took off about a third. But still, it was like we, you know, it just yeah, went. You should have sold it all. Should have sold right? it all. Exactly. Or, or like even like Blackberry for me, like it ripped too soon. It got caught up in the meme and ripped really fast. And I, you know, the first go around, I didn't take as much prop as I should have. And then uh, I bought back into Blackberry. It ripped again. And I was like, all right, fuck it. I'm, I'm, I'm out for a bit. I'm going to get back in because I still have that two to three year plan for that that company. But mm-hmm. it's start, you know, there's some news that are coming out where it's not the best. Like CrowdStrike just got ranked the best endpoint security, right? And so there's things that mm-hmm. I'm just like keeping an eye on to see if if I still love it for two to three years out. And so thinking about that, you are where you are is very powerful, right? And especially if you start losing, there's there's this oh mindset of yeah. getting back to even. And even you and I, we say it sometimes. I'm doing accident. it right we now. got to do it. We got to do it. Yeah. But you are where you are. And so, you know, even thinking about these sports analogies, if you're betting, you have to pay your bookie on Monday, it's Sunday, you're, you know, you're down a $1,000, let's say, right? 
you're going to go on tilt and, and do these 10 team parlays to try to get back when the reality is you're not going to hit that. Right. And so same thing here yeah. with, with options, like you may just start yellowing weekly options, trying to get it back, but like, don't change your mindset because you know, of, of where things are at. Right. Like if you're, if you're like, I had COVID and I was bleeding out and it was the same exact time where like everything was crashing and I just, I couldn't do it mentally. And so like, I finally just closed my computer and, Thank God, because it, it started popping back up and, and I didn't panic sell. And, and thankfully, you know, that didn't happen. But easily people could be like, the world's going to end. We got to, you know, throw everything, sell everything. Right. And so keeping that homeostasis, as we were talking about, is, is just always have a, a clean mentality, know where you are and trade as if, right? Don't let these outside influences yeah. affect how you're going to be trading. A hundred percent, Avi. And I'm just going to add there, like I got into tilt this year for a little bit, honestly, it was such a shit market. And for me, I'm incredibly good. Like I guess I call my strat the vol ball strat, right? So like I'll make money on both ways of movement, but when you get just a one directional trade downwards, and it's just like, at that point, you're just hedging your positions. You go on tilt. you're thinking, all right, this is the week it's going to pop. This is the week it's going to pop. And I found myself like obviously into the end of the quarter, having to put up my performance numbers. So I was like, all right, I'll take some shots. And then the shots, like I took them four weeks ago, started working out. Then they, you know, they would come down for one day and then you'd be like worried because you're like, if it reverses, you take a shot and you're already like having a rough last month or two because everything's selling off. It's difficult to mentally manage that. Right. And, and, and I, for the last two or three months, have not been doing anything that I talk about on pounding the table really besides like trying to make money. I've just been actively trading. I've been trying to get my alpha up without any regard for like the companies themselves. This is just about making money when you are in that situation. And the problem is if you're not experienced and in, in being in that pressure filled situation, you're going to get absolutely wrecked. Like I can watch myself as I'm trading in these tight spots you know, like a lot of names went down, you have to reallocate, right? But how do you reallocate when this went down 60%, but this is down 30%, which one do you think is going to be a better opportunity? And so like 24 seven for the last two months, you try to figure out what's going to get you that bigger alpha, right? And like for me specifically, because it only matters where I'm at four times a year, but for everyone else, obviously it matters where you are every single day mentally. And like, I can block it out because I know I have X time and like, you know, I've got a 500% return cushion from last year, this and that. But regardless, you have a lot of tilt that goes on once you start not hitting it the way you were hitting it. And then going from making just an exorbitant amount of money to not making as much because you're waiting for the conditions to get better, you go through dopamine and like serotonin withdrawals. Like I was going through withdrawals of trading, like how great it was to how poor it was in the setups, right? Like even though things were going down and you can play stuff on the downside, puts were so expensive and things would pop just to get the put premium to die and then tank again, right? And then the S&P was not going down, but only the stocks that we'd invested in were going down. And then those are the names though that outperformed the S&P by like four or five times last year. So it's all this little balancing act and you have to make sure your mind's sitting right on the tightrope or you will literally fall on your face on the mats. And mm. you just got to make sure that you're mentally okay, right? My parents got COVID. That meant mentally messed me up. And I took a couple of weeks, like I took like two weeks off mentally and I was barely trading. But when I got back, I was so out of it. Like I felt rusty because so much had happened. The market was so insane that it's like, you can't walk up to go take a piss kind of situation. Well, if you spend two weeks barely doing anything just because obviously your life's in shit because you have to make sure more important things matter, then that's when you should figure out like, maybe I should trade less, you know, don't click as many buttons. And I'm glad that I knew that. And so I didn't, but I could have seen myself go into horrible tilt had I played mm -hmm. off of an emotional uh, period in my life. So make sure you don't do that. That's an important rule because wherever you are, you can get back to wherever you've been. And if you're in a bad spot, you can get to a good spot. Like I'll tell you a story in March. I literally thought I was going to blow up, right? It was like the, the bottom. I was like, I'm either going to make it and make it huge from here or I'm going to completely fucking blow up because the markets were down 52%. And so that's the way that like those specific situations, you don't want to have to get yourself into. Obviously that was a once, hopefully in a lifetime, insane situation where the markets went down 50% plus in two weeks on indices. I had no idea how to deal with that. It was the first time anyone's ever seen anything like that. But what I will say is that's a great indicator if you were trading back then. And also in the last three months to know like, you are where you are. See how you felt in those bad times. See how you felt in those good times. And Dr. Adam, he was saying this thing where you want to keep yourself in the middle of your emotional spectrum, right? Like you don't want to be too down and you don't want to be too up. If you find yourself really euphoric, four to eight pull range. yourself back. Yeah, the four to eight range. Like if you find yourself in that euphoria, pull it back. If you find yourself in the like that sad depression, like it's going tough, 
pull it back and just relax. And then once you get to that homeostasis in the middle, then you start pushing for the gains. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important. We, we were joking that everyone kind of needs this Wendy Rose in their life. But I, I, you know, we have a trading group like amongst our friends. Just I think everyone should have some sort of like buddy system in a sense, right? To, yeah. to have these conversations when you're going on tilt, have someone talk you off that ledge, right? It is really important. And like beyond that, you know, the more brains in a, in a group, like they're finding more news, they're being able to send you things, right? And so if you don't already try to find, you know, one friend, a group of friends that you guys can get together with and, and just talk shop because it is so helpful when you do get to your fork, when you start sending those screenshots to your friend, for that friend to tell you to ask, shut the fuck up for a second. Yeah. And, and, and really sell. It's, it's I tell you yeah. every time, like, Avi, sell. Like, yeah, you send me a screenshot. screenshot. You're like, all right, now it's Tony Top's time. <laughs> every time yeah. I send a screenshot to him, just like oh my god i gotta like stop doing this because like every time you send a screenshot like tomas colson always says this he's like if you take a screenshot you should sell that shit and he's right because like at that point you're like oh man this is impressive it shouldn't have got here and statistically that's when you sell exactly so the next one number six is spade is a spade right so this is one of my favorites that you mentioned you know one company finds success in a particular industry or a sector Another one typically comes along, right? Are they doing the similar things? Are they doing the exact same thing, right? Something you want to keep an eye on. So if you missed a company like Amazon early, which, you know, if you just started trading, you'd miss that, right? Maybe you look at SC and that's why I think SC has become a darling. That's how I found Jumia. You mentioned spade as a spade. So I'm like, all right, where, what countries or which continents do not have, you know, e-commerce yet? So we saw, you know, Russia had Ozon, right? And so that was a spade as a spade. That one hasn't, you know, taken off as much, but from Jumia from, I think I've got that at like seven, seven fifty. you know, you've seen a nice run. It hasn't, you know, it's come back to some norm here, but still like, that's another big point to bring up yeah, is like 400% regardless when you buy, like people shit on us sometimes for Nanox, right. And, and Nanox, we got it at 20. Right. So right, yeah, it, it's that, the it's entry absurd. points are so important too, of, of where you go. Like at the end of the day, we're still up, you know, on Nanox, but if other people, you know, hear it or you're waiting for everyone to start talking about it, that's why it's important to a uh, little, self uh, interest here listen to pounding table every single week because you want to be there when we first talk about it or, or when other people first talk about it you want to always be first to market but again always do your own research and i think that's the most important thing is going back to that you know first or second commandment is making sure that you personally are excited about it just because someone 100%. else says it you know on a podcast on twitter you don't know who they are right and, and ultimately you don't know when they got in and so it's important for you to do all of this due diligence. And we say this every podcast is a bit repetitive, but you know, I think it can't be said enough, right? Yeah. I mean, the spade is a spade doesn't, I think doesn't just apply for the uh, actual industry it's in, but that's obviously the main point to look at it. You're like, obviously like, you know, Jumi is in Africa, Amazon, SEs in, you know, Southeast Asia makes sense connected into Amazon. People are like, you know, TTD relates with Google and this and that. There's a lot of things that people are doing in that fashion to call a spade is a spade without saying it. But what's really important about it is that it doesn't just apply for those specific like actual things. It, it can go way deeper, right? Like I can hear people in an interview, you know, I can hear Rawlinson talk about Lucid and I can say, wow, he's like on the money here, right? He's sounding like Musk and he's like taking into account what he did and how he succeeded and what failures he did, right? So I'm like, he's thinking in a spade is a spade. And that's like, those are the nuances I think that pounding the table that makes pounding the table so great. Honestly, brings it, that's what we're here for is to figure out what's being innovated on what's already being innovated, and understanding those little nuanced connections that make the difference. Man, like I, I watched interviews with Sema Four and the Eric Shat always says we're developing or is developing or in the process of developing. Like those little keywords, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, you just chose that word no man he's saying this thing isn't even done at all it's not even close to being finished in terms of where they're going to go with it right so hearing that and the way that a company is being thought about like the way the ceo drives the ship is going to determine where it goes right so that's the most important thing i think for like a spade is a spade you know like obviously toby from shopify um forest lee there's just such incredible like ceos out there that will take stuff from other ceos who have succeeded so well And I think that people don't understand that the number of commas is just growing, right? Like 100,000 is not what 100,000 was, right? Like a million is the new 100,000. 
And so like the companies that are at a trillion will go to 10 trillion. The ones at 100 billion are going to normally be at 1 trillion, right? And then that's just how it'll happen over time, right? Because we used to never have a trillion dollar company. We used to not have 100 billion dollar companies. That's how the world's going to work. Obviously, more people, more time, more products, more everything, more money. Um, and obviously with that, there's going to be more choices. So it's going to let you have those opportunities to see what's a spade is a spade more. It's just really important to make sure the connections are right. And I don't really like listening to a lot of analysts' opinions on where they think a stock is going because they only really talk about what they already know. So mm-hmm. there's things that can be a spade as a spade, but no one's talking about. Like, like we've talked about this. Like, there's a lot of similarities between some companies that we own, like Fiverr and Etsy. So then you go into like a spade as a spade is like how the company operates and like what's their target market. So you can look at like Pinterest and Etsy. There's like a 40% overlap. Those two companies should merge. And that's like another way to play a spade as a spade. So Mm -hmm. those are really important things. I think that identifying patterns is really just what spade as a spade is. So if you can identify the pattern, you'll make money. Yeah, I think you actually brought up a really good point too. Like obviously more people, more money, more spending power, et cetera. But then you can also look at a spade as a spade. It takes more time to now deep dive and really thoroughly understand the company because it's very easy. Like my company contents where, you know, you look at our competitors, they're all saying they do the exact same thing, right? So you do have to like, kind of like now more than ever, take a look under the hood and see like, what does the company actually do? Like anyone can put up marketing material that says that they do the exact same thing as right. like, uh, an Amazon, right? But like Ozon is not Amazon, you know, yet, right? So it is definitely time, but you you also want to make sure that you get in early, right? And you have to have some patience for some of these names, right? And I think that's, uh, a huge point you brought up is like diving really deeply, listening to the CEOs actually speak. Cause it's one thing to read something, but tonality, excitement, you know, that energy is not there. Those micro like expressions are not there. And so by seeing someone speak, the excitement behind them, like that's when I, you know, for, we'll talk about this in just a second, but like Twilio, I saw Jeff Lawson speak and I was like, shit, this guy is like, literally, this is becoming, obviously they don't do the same thing as Salesforce, but I said, like, as they're starting to acquire all these little companies, it's kind of like Salesforce was, you know, five, six years ago in the fact that they're building this massive ship, right? So that brings us right into the next commandment here. Number seven is invest with the mindset of what the company will be not what everyone thinks it is. So for example, with Twilio, when they acquired Segment, it instantly clicked for me what they're going to be doing, right? And, and that was a massive catalyst for me. But like the big theme here is like investing what's being innovated on versus what's already been innovated. Where is that company going? We always say you skate to where the puck is going, Wayne Gretzky line, right? You always want to yep. go where the ball is going versus where that company is today. And you can see that, you know, that's kind of that whole growth to value mindset. I know you mentioned Tesla and Telia, so I'll let you talk about those, but those yeah, are uh, great examples of that, of course. Yeah, of course, right? Like Tesla waited seven years for, and it literally made me who I am today as like a personality on Twitter or, you know, like the podcast, the fun, I think everything came, (laughs) everything came from that, from me believing in something that no one really believed in. And it wasn't like I bought Tesla last year or two years ago, I bought it before people knew what it was. And it's like, like Shopify, like I was buying it in the hundreds. And I don't like it as much anymore, because I'd already made my money, it became the company that I thought it would be. And now they're adding new legs. And so it's like, that's already being innovated. Sure. I already nailed that. And like now people want to buy Shopify and now people want to buy Cloudflare when I bought Cloudflare in 19. And and like, that's just how the world works, right? People don't want to get into stuff until it's like much more available and accessible. By the time it hits the mainstream, right. there's a reason it's at the mainstream. The money's been made and you're just the second sheep to go into the flock. Like that's just how it works. It's, it's and like I think the Kramer effect. Anytime like someone goes on CNBC, like, is Bitcoin the hottest new thing? And, and right. It like reaches 60,000, you know, you're like, and that's, the, right, and that's right. the high, that's the top. And, right. and, and that's, it's like, and so it's like people are like, everyone's talking about Shopify now and I'm short Shopify. So like just for the next week or two, but I, I, I love the company long-term. I'm just saying though, like this is it when you zag Avi is so important, but I think figuring out what is actually going to be the next big thing. So Intelia is a perfect example of this. I kept on seeing news nonstop. And also I was buying Intelia, like we pounded it at 19. Like I literally was buying it at like $11 a year or two ago. And it was like one of the first things I bought in my fund. But 
anyway, that stock, I saw it just become a monster. I think we're getting into base editing. They're getting into like beam and the big news from this weekend. I mean, yeah, they're getting into prime editing. And and like, and then just this last week, yesterday, literally yesterday, yesterday, the first inhuman trial results that shows that gene editing has arrived, right? In vivo, they literally put stuff in your body and they like literally disable the problem genes that go inside of your body, the problem proteins, and they're able to make your disease essentially go away. And we were saying this for the last year. People were like, oh, there's no the way future, it's going to happen. It's too book. crazy. And what did I say? I was like, it's going to be here way faster than you think. Why? Because like they are telling you they're making moves that people just don't believe it until it's already here. So great. Now you want to buy Intel. Like everyone on Twitter wants to buy Intel at a hundred. And I just laugh at these clowns and like the valuations and the revenue didn't change. But now you believe in this story. Well, a great investor would have believed in it at 10. So that's how the world works. If you really want to be great, listen to the guy, the guys who are just now mentioning NTLA block them because they should have known. Like you should know that that's, this is the most insane thing that's happened in medicine in forever. And that's just an example for everything, right? Like I knew that we had the double strand breaking standard CRISPR DNA thing that's going on with a lot of different things. And now you have other things. You have the base editing, the prime editing, you have proteomics. That's where the ball is going. When you first hear a new word, that's, that's the new, that's the next ball, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've been hearing double strand DNA break forever. And then you start hearing base editing and prime editing. And that's the ball. You follow the game. The game changes over time, right? It's a different battlefield. And you just want to make sure you're at the front lines. So, you know, we always hear the the term, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news, which, you know, just kept flashing in my head as you're talking about this for something as game changing, you know, as, as what Intelli did this weekend. Is that a buy the rumors, sell the news type of a thing? I or is this hope such a I, massive catalyst that it's, you know, this is, this is the trigger to, to it's really fucking start crazy. This. It's the craziest news I've seen, I think, in over a year yeah. for a lot of stuff. Well, I and think like, this here's be the thing, good though. for genomics as a whole, right? It shows. It should be. It should working, make people. Right? It honestly spoon feeds the people who aren't smart enough to get it themselves. Like it really just spoon feeds people who are like disbelievers and who are like medicine's not that far along or this and that or whatever. Like it's not because you're stupid. It's probably just because you just don't have faith and you don't believe in technological like advancements. Like it's a thing. The world's expanding way faster than you ever could imagine. And why? Because told you guys like this shit will be happening this year. Look at CRISPR and Verb, Verb almost curing sickle cell. Like now until you can literally edit genes in your liver without taking any like they're literally doing it inside of you they send nanoparticles inside to correct your genes it's literally like you have those little robots that go inside of you and fix you from the inside and you're gonna tell me that you give a shit about CrowdStrike more sorry but like all you guys just I've, I've, it's the end of the year i'll be had a rant a little bit here <laughs> like what the fuck are you investing in like think about how insane that is like that do you get is my cybersecurity as important no is my shopify as important no but once again, people aren't going to care about it until they're making money and revenues and billions of dollars. But like, you won't care about it anyway if you're dead because you didn't invest in it. So whatever. Right, exactly. But I mean, I, I think it's super interesting what you're saying, right? Like obviously cybersecurity is a massive field, right? And CrowdStrike to that point is like the leader within that field. But I think what you're trying to say is like, if we're dead, <laughs> you don't need cybersecurity, right? Like this, this is the core of, of your life. And we talked about this with the book I sent you, Physics of the Future. It is remarkable seeing when I read the yeah, book, it was like seriously. a month or two old. And I was like, hey, shit, half this stuff has already happened, right? We talked about the toilets that you can take a pee in and it'll give you your vitals. Those are actually like coming out now, right? And so that book is phenomenal. Everyone should should read that book because you'll see kind of where the ball is going. It's a futurist book. And I want to say one more thing to Avi. Every time I say stuff like that, it's just, it's honestly, and it comes from a place of passion. Like if you really love this shit, there's got to be the reasons why you love it, right? Because you're investing in world-changing companies. You're investing in a better future. And like, yes, it's always all about money, but obviously the things that change the world the most will make you the most money. That's just how it works. Like you saw Bib go up literally $30 billion in market cap in 10 seconds because of Alzheimer data. And then and just assume like, which companies are going to be the only one? What's the only company in the world that's ever done in vivo editing, NTLA? Like, and, and that's obviously the forefront. That's the best, craziest shit that's happened in genomics ever, right? That's it. Like, that's that's the game. That's ball. So if that doesn't prove to you that it's possible, if you can do it once, you can replicate that's it. You ball. can figure out how to do it everywhere. And I just want people to know, like, the reason why I say, like, why do you care about, like, these companies that have already succeeded and changed the world is because, like, you're getting into the, you're getting at the party at 2 a.m., Right. Like, would you not rather get to the party 730, have some burgers, chill with the boys, watch the game and then party all night? 
right? You enjoy it more life. You get more utility out of getting there and being there. But I get it, right? Like shop at $200 billion, great company, fantastic. NCLA, literally under $10 billion, just figured out a way to put nanoparticles in your body and literally change your health in a 30-day period. That's fucking insane. And if you think that that's not a better investment than 99% of other things in the market, because you're scared of the risks of this and that or whatever, then I question like your involvement in the game and like wanting to invest in world changes. And if that's not your MO, fine. But I'm saying, I think a lot of people misunderstand what they do, right? Like you want to make sure you're on that risk and safety balance. But if you really love this shit, I think that people will always flock to what will change the world the most. And I'm just surprised that I see a lot of fakes. Yeah. I mean, you know, in, in summary, you want to, you want to get to the party while the food's in the oven. You don't want to wait till it's been served. That's yeah. all I got from that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Number eight, this is actually my favorite because it, it is such a simple concept, but I always and never buy a stock without like thinking about this is opportunity cost of capital, right? You want to find the names that, you know, ultimately will have the best CAGR, the catalyst, room to run, et cetera, right? You don't necessarily go out and buy an Amazon, whereas you maybe buy an SC, right? Like even if Amazon doubles, that's still a double where SC, I don't imagine Amazon going 10 X from here, you know, at least in the next couple of years, whereas SC potentially could, or even, you know, SC is getting to a point where is that opportunity cost still there, right? So thinking that's why we buy those growth names, of course, you know, if you think about a company with a $200 billion market cap, will that double in two years? Well, again, there's less owned names, there's less known names that are valued less right now that could ultimately grow. I mean, you see this all the time, you know, TTD five years ago is not TTD today, right? And so thinking of mm-hmm. these game-changing companies and, and you see all of these commandments kind of do intersect with one another, right? You kind of go back opportunity cost of capital, then you're like, oh, a spade is a spade. Those kind of go together in the sense that, hey, like what is that Jumia that's at seven that will ultimately just grow? Like e-commerce is gonna happen Africa is not going to go away, right? Those two make sense. And eventually it will grow, you know, unless there's another one that comes or they get acquired by someone, right? Ultimately, you want to look at that opportunity cost of capital. So, you know, it comes down to percentages. The goal is to get that best bang for your buck. You not only want to find that quality, but allocate that in a way you see the best returns possible based off of that risk, right? Yeah, 100%. I think opportunity cost of capital helps a lot of people, right? Like this is a perfect example for, I, I'm a big fan of the software play recently. Like I played a lot of calls on those, but I also think that as shares, right, those have ran a lot and and those have been priced in for the non-inflation fears versus inflation fears. Th- those things have ran such a significant amount, right? The opportunity cost to capital of net at 100, shop at 1500 and a bunch of these other names like at all time highs and higher is like there are still plenty of names down 40, 50%, but those are because they ran X hundreds of percent and that, if you still think those companies will outperform in the long run, then those are the ones that I allocate to. But also, like this goes into our next point perfectly, Avi. Like just because you can find a stock that goes from two to ten billion faster than two to two hundred to four hundred billion, that doesn't mean that you only should have two to yeah, two billion to ten billion dollar potential companies. Yeah, the bonds uh, you mentioned, and that instantly became a huge hit because I think everyone again is visual learners more or less, and, and thinking about this bonsai when you have a branch of your bonsai just go nuts like CCIV did, right? All of a sudden, you know, maybe your 20th position or 10th position becomes your number one position overnight, pretty much. Like that is the time to trim your bonsai, right? You don't want any, any branch getting too out of control. You want to kind of keep that that base, right? That core. And so, you know, once again, for people that are new or just want that refresher on the bonsai, everyone kind of has their own explanation of what the bonsai is. So I'll let you go in just a second, but I think mine is right. You want to have that core, right? That, that strong trunk of the bonsai. And those are the companies that are not going to go away. You can close your eyes. You can go to the beach, do whatever you want. And those, that base should always stay there. Good companies. They may not go 10 X, but you're good for 10, 15, 20% in the year. And those are your your core of the bonsai, right? And then as you move up the tree to the smaller branches, and then you'll have those level two companies that are maybe a little bit more risky, right? But still pretty strong. And as you go up the bonsai, then you can have those moonshots, right? The, the boomer bust, you don't care if maybe they go to zero, but like they do have that 100x potential. That could be like the tip, the ornament on your bonsai, right. if you will, right? Right, yeah. And that's the moonshot. Like, and I think it's really important that everyone realize like, 
these are all interconnected. Like these 10 commandments are literally all the same commandment. It's just like, be a good investor and trader, <laughs> but these are how to do it, right? You have to have these little steps and like, put this in your discipline, like figure out your exact strategy and your methods, because I'll tell you what, like, if you just run nonstop in a circle, you're going to pass out. But if you run and you figure out when you're going to stop for water, you figure out when you're going to have your protein bar, you can run a marathon with your eyes closed. So I think those are really important things to understand. You can keep it going for a longer time in a healthier fashion than trying to sprint the marathon by not having any rules. Because what happens is you usually fall and trip over your laces and bust your nose open and then you're broke. So it's important to really figure out how you want to allocate your risk. So think about what kind of person you are. Are you the guy who's at the beach or are you the guy who's like, I'm like me, you guy trying to rip three digit percent gains every year like there's a difference there in how much you allocate your time. But then also what I realize is even though like, yeah, it's fun to make a ton of money and like do really well and percent wise, it's much more fun for me, honestly, to have some quality time with my family and spend some time alone and like do stuff like that without having to be interacting on Twitter all the time, or honestly, hell, even making a podcast or whatever it might be. So there's a way that you got to like, honestly, figure out the balance for your life. Cause I get burnt out. I got burnt out. Like the sustainability of it's important. So mm-hmm. no matter what kind of investor you are, it more matters what kind of person you are. Like, are you scared of losing money? Like, are you risk averse? Then your entire bonsai could literally just be core great companies, proven cash flows, proven estimate. Like, you know, like Shopify will succeed in the next decade. So, the, you know, there's the difference between that, like C limited, you know, there, there, are, there are companies that have proven themselves and who are now like, honestly, almost blue chips. And then, of course, there are things like CMLF and CCIV and Anox and like EH and whatever it might be. Like, there's a ton of names that obviously have a lot more risk, but have a lot more upside potential. And so, for me, like, I allocate more percent to those riskier names just because I'm chasing the alpha. I'm younger. Like, I have a higher risk profile, but it's very important to understand that it's different for everybody. Like Avi and I don't have to have the same risk portfolio, but we should have similar bonsais in terms of like where the stocks go in the base or in the branches, right? Because the bonsai works both ways, right? Like you make a ton of money off of small, off of small positions. It gets too risky because like if something goes 10 bags, like EH, perfect example, eight to 120, that's, you can allocate now that to like SE or something great. But also Mm -hmm. if SE gets too big and you've already done the allocation, then you can take SE and buy something like NTLA, it was at 66, who just literally changed the world. So it's a reverse bonsai as well. And the whole point of it is just to keep you in that homeostasis. So the whole point of a bonsai is to not only a make it attractive and calming and peaceful, but to literally like make sure it is a perfect like representation of what you feel inside. That's the actual reason why people have a bonsai tree. Like it's meant to you are supposed to design it your own way, and that's the reason, right? Because it grows the way you tell it to grow. So you have to make sure that you are literally the one gardening it and not just following what I say or what Avi says or what everyone else on Twitter says, you are the one planting the trees and you will be the one pulling the weeds if you get fucked as well. So make sure that you have the bonsai to your liking. Otherwise, you're just literally going to have rocks. And that leads right into our final commandment, which is the number one rule. So this is like an inverse 10 commandments, if you will. Live to trade another day, right? If, If you're just out there yellowing your entire account blow up account i know you've mentioned early on in your career like you blew up some accounts and you learned from it right and one thing i always say is you either win in life or you learn like there's no losing right every time you may thought of a loss take that as a learning moment right and and then make sure Mm -hmm. that you don't blow up account if you have three kids at home you know you're trying to support a family like that's not the time to blow up an account, right? You always want to ensure that you live to trade another day. And so all of those, you know, nine commandments before this lead into this concept of of simply just making sure that you have an opportunity. Like my account was at its all time high. I saw that plummet, you know, down quite a bit here in the end of February into March. But like I said, all right, I am where I am. You know, I keep going back to these different commandments and I paused for a second. I said, okay, Look at my portfolio. Is this the, you know, the, the company? Do I want to take a moonshot to try to get back right away? Or do I buy a company like Twilio who just came down quite a bit and now I find a great entry and that's now shot up to my number one position. So this brings me back to like ultimately this great quote that uh, Henry David Thoreau, he said this thing that it's okay to build castles in the sky as long as you have the foundation built underneath, right? And so I think that's huge here is going back to that bonsai is, you need to have those logs, you know, when you make a fire or a fortress, you need to have that foundation of that first. 
And then of course you can throw some gasoline on there. You know, if you want to have a few moonshots in there, but like ensure that your account cannot blow up overnight. Right. The whole thing is, this is fun, right? We do this to make money, but ultimately back to your point, like if you lose all your money overnight and this now affects your emotions of how you're dealing with your family, your friends, and it encapsulates and, and takes over your life. Don't let it get to that point, right? Let the money work for you and allow yourself to, if you want to take a vacation, allow yourself to, right? And so having that core, having that base allows you to ultimately live to trade another day. Right, 100%. And like, that is, I think that is probably the optimal position to be in. And like the person you described of like spending too much time working in this and that that's literally me. I haven't taken a day <laughs> off of trading in two years. And I mean, I've traveled on vacation and like I literally pull my laptop out in a hotel, like whatever. But still, I don't have that freedom yet because I'm chasing that gain. I'm chasing the money to set me up so I never have to work again. But it's still a taxing, taxing thing. And if you're already set up in a decent spot, you don't need to push it that hard. Right. And, and even if you're not, you don't need to push it that hard. You can have patience, but I'm not a patient man. So I like to, you know, push it as much as I can when the opportunities are there. But that's an important thing to understand is like the opportunities have to be there. If you push it for the last three months on every dip you saw, you're literally not listening to this podcast because you're broke. And so that's a very important thing to understand. You don't want to be in that position. Like I've been there, man. I had to take loans out to start businesses. Like it is not fun to blow up your account and be a dumbass and just mess up because you're not taking into account the risk. Right. Like I think, you know, people come at like everyone on Twitter, people come at us, whatever this and that. The most important thing to understand is that like if you had done what you felt comfortable with and really thought about yourself as an investor and not risk what you couldn't afford, like you could never be mad at anybody and including yourself. Like I think that at the end of the day, everyone gets ends up getting upset at themselves. Mm -hmm. And the only way you can get upset is by getting kicked out of the casino by not having any more chips. So you want to be able to sit at the table as long as possible. And hopefully you can sit at the table forever and pound it while you're there. I love it. And, and just to kind of summarize that too, I think like using that chip analogy, you know, if, if someone with a billion dollars loses 10% of their money, they still have a lot of money, right? Is everyone's coming from different positions again, right? You some people mm -hmm. have a lot of money and they can afford to sit in, you know, a stock that brings them one or 2% because that one or 2% could be millions. So Tony, man, we're sitting here. This has been extremely nostalgic. I'm putting in work on my birthday, on yeah, my fiance's, uh, you know, wedding shower, kind of selfish of her, but whatever, you know, we're getting <laughs> excited <laughs> and we're here now, you know, coming on this, this conclusion of our first season of doing this podcast. And so I think I can't even, you know, th this was the one that we had to do as a season finale, but like, I'm even yeah. more excited for episode one of season two, because oh, we yeah. got some new heads of the tables. We got some new mini monsters. We got a lot coming your way and just different kind of portfolios and focusing in. We have a, incredible interviews coming up as well. We won't spoil the surprise on there, but we're, we're starting to get in some big names, Tony. We're so we're, we're escalating yeah, I mean, and, and things are really starting to fly. So I'm excited. I'm man. starting to feel like SE here. Like we're starting to build new legs. New legs right? baby. <laughs> we, we, we got, we got the team of pounders. Now we've got newsletters. We've got the podcast. Uh, you want to just drop Fintwitch shop on here or yeah, is it? So we're, we're going to be launching well, yeah. here. Sign up. We're, it's not launched quite yet, but we're going to be doing, you know, we always have people reaching out. It's like, oh, where can I get a shirt? Where can I get it? What? So, you know, we'll have some pound the table gear on fintwitchshop.com. You guys can sign up. I think we're giving a discount too for, for anyone that signs up there. Um, but we'll be having like tons of funny meme stocks. If you guys have ideas and logos, like shoot them our way and, and, and we'll work something out there for you guys to, to, to be a part of the pound of the table network as well. So Super exciting, man. This is this is way crazy that we've now done yeah. this for a year and I uh, couldn't be more excited here for, for episode year, season half two. A I guess it's half a million downloads, 25,000 pounders listening every week. You just got to love the, like, the engagement. Like Honestly, thank you guys for making this possible because Avi and I would have quit a hundred times if it wasn't for all you pounders coming here telling us how much you love the show and how much you want to hear the next episode. So with that being said, pounders, because you pounded the table on us, we'll keep pounding the table. And we'll be back for season two next week. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. On the corner, I ain't forget you. Triple beam. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine.
I've been in this game for years. Uh, it made me an animal. It's rules to this. Uh -huh. I wrote me a manual, a step-by-step -step booklet for you to get your game on track. Not your wig pushed back. Rule number uno. Never let no one know how much dough you hold. Cause you know that try to breed jealousy, especially if that man fed up. Get your fucked up. Number two. Never let them know your next move. Don't you know bad boys move in silence and violence? Take it from your highness. Uh -huh. I done squeeze mad clips at these cats for they bricks and chips. Number three, never trust nobody. Your mom's set that ass up properly gassed up. Hoodie the masked up. For that fast buck, uh -huh. she be laying in the bushes to light that up. Number four, know you heard this before. Never get high on your own supply. Number five, never sell no where you rest at, I don't care if they want an ounce, tell them bounce, uh, number six, that got credit, get it, you think it's paying your back, forget it, seven, this rule is so underrated, keep your family and business completely separated, money and blood don't mix like two dicks and no find yourself in serious shit. number eight, uh, never keep no weight on you, them cats that squeeze your can hold jumps too, number nine, should have been number one to me, if you ain't getting back, stay the Police. Uh -huh. If you think you're snitching, they ain't trying to listen. They be sitting in your kitchen, waiting to start hitting number 10. A strong word called consignment, strictly for live men, not for freshmen. Uh -huh. If you ain't got the clientele, say hell no, cause they gon' want their money, rain, sleep, hell snow. Follow these rules, you have mad bread to break uh -huh. up. If not, 24 years on the wake up. Slug hit your temple, watch your frame shake up. Caretaker did your makeup. When you pass, your girl f my man Jacob. Heard in three weeks, she sniffed a whole half a cake up. Heard she suck a good d and could hook a steak up. Gotta go, gotta go, more pasta to bake up. Word up. Uh. King. What's up? Uh.